The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. While many of the people here have some form of mental health training, they are not your mental health professional. This podcast is not a replacement for mental or physical care or for the diagnosis of any mental health illness or condition. So, Matthew, Joe, yes, yes, that's me. Joe, that's you, and Nate. Yes, Nate Fu. I like it. Like Kung Fu. (laughs) Um, I know. I know Nate Fu. Now I can. Now I can say that (laughs) because I do. Oh man, I wish I'd saved that joke. Although you've probably heard it nine hundred times. There's no. We are recording, so it's plausible that could be the opening podcast. If I said it out loud, I gotta be on. I gotta be accountable for it. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us once again for the Guardians MH podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, and with me tonight is Joe. Hello. And Nate. Hello. If you're joining us for the first time, Guardians MH is a 501c3 nonprofit focused on promoting mental health awareness throughout the gaming community. We strive to be the first step assisting individuals with gathering meaningful resources in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. Our podcast is just another way to normalize talking about mental health and is a fusion of mental health topics and gaming. And speaking of gaming, please welcome our guest, Anjali Bamani. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi. Hello. It is, I am so, 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 so grateful that you reached out and asked me to be a part of this podcast because what you are doing here is so special and so important and so generous. So thank you for, for letting me be a part of it. Thank you. Because this really? has been, this has been like, uh, has it been months? Did we get, did we get like to the in the making, but uh, <laughs> probably just been a few months. Um, yeah. No, it's been a lot of back and forth because of my kooky schedule and, and, uh, and apparently uh, Fridays at 7 p.m. is a rough time for me to get free. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so no. patient. And, uh, and as I said before, you know, universal timing, usually it's rarely wrong. So let's. Let's hope that today there's a very special reason why we're doing it today, as opposed to yeah. 19 months ago. Absolutely. <laughs> and now, while I find this hard to believe, Anjali, where do people know you from? Uh, Those who have not heard of you. Uh, well, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Is it hard to believe that they know me from things? Um, but now I understand. No, no, opposite. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's that works. <laughs> There's no reason for people who don't don't know me to know me um, from a lot of different things um, in the television world. You might know me from Modern Family or SWAT or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or Special on Netflix, which is, I think, the most recent one in the movie world from Evil Eye or All My Life or a bunch of other things. And uh, most likely uh, for the folks who this podcast from the gaming world. Uh, you might know me as the voice of Symmetra in Overwatch, or the voice of Rampart in Apex Legends, or the voice of Nisha in Fallout 4 Nuka World, or Yasmin in Fallout 76, or you might know me from a few of the Critical Role Limited series, uh, either Undeadwood or Exandria Unlimited. Unlimited. Yes, most recently. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, bunch of stuff. You might know me from the Broadway. You might know me from opera. There's a lot of places you could know me. You might know me from hanging out in Orange County, California a gazillion years ago. <laughs> That's where I was really. No, you might know me from the corner bakery. I, it's just really, there's. Um, <laughs> was it a really good bakery? Well, I was just going to say that I don't really. All right. Because I live in Hollywood, so I don't eat bread. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, at least I don't eat bread in public. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> terrible thing to say. That's not healthy. The hiding it, not the eating it. Wow, we're off to a great start. So <laughs> we're with this podcast, we're off to a perfect start. Uh, <laughs> is it which is bread? a good thing? Is it what? Is it? Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what I bread was, I would hide in my cabinet. Like which which one is my guilty bread? Oh, my guilty bread. Pandasol, actually. Sourdough, baby. Sourdough, sourdough, sourdough. Sourdough, okay. Really good sourdough. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if Matt told you this, but we do uh, sidetrack quite a lot just because the conversation goes that that way. So you'll you'll see that here and there. Like talking about our favorite breads that we would hide in cabinets away from public eyes. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. I like Pandasol. Pandasol is really good bread. If you haven't tried it, try it. Pandasol is good bread. It is very good. What is this bread? Pandasol. It's um, my wife uh, turned me on to it. Uh, She got it. She's from uh, Virginia beach and uh, there's a, uh, like a, uh, a Latin bakery down there, and they make this pandasol. It's like a sweet bread. Uh, like a okay, 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 okay. okay. I got gotcha. you. It's gotcha. super good. So every time we go down to like visit your family, we come back with like a bushel full of bread. Like we drive out of our way to get this. Tricky is that any trip to almost any like if you go anywhere in Europe, almost anywhere in Europe. Um, or if you go to India, like I'm trying to think of all the places that I've traveled. There's always, with the exception of maybe visiting Japan, I don't know that there's like a particular bread that I'm in love with there because I don't think there is a bread in Japan that is a particularly Japanese bread. But everywhere I go, there is some kind of thing where I'm like, this is the thing that you have to eat when I'm here. So let's put my entire body weight in it. <laughs> I came back from Spain. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to have two babies. Their names are going to be named Manchego and Cacao. <laughs> yeah, any anytime you bring someone out our way, you got to hit Portos. Oh yes! See, now y'all making me hungry, and I can't even eat the bread right now. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll move on from the bread. Fitness plan, blah blah blah. All right, someone else take a hit for the team and eat some extra bread for me tonight. I mean, I, now I just have to go to Brooklyn tomorrow. I'm, I'm, just I'm drinking my bread. bread. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so I I have to ask, um, I'm a huge fan of almost everything that you have done. I have been playing Overwatch since it first started. Um, oh. I'm actually a super fan of Modern Family, which I don't think many people know. <laughs> um, love Modern Family. But I'm a bigger fan of, I'm a huge fan of Critical Role. Hmm. And so I do. I do need to ask. That's like liking puppies, though. Like you can't not no. love critical. If someone doesn't love Critical Role, I am sus- super suspicious of them. <laughs> not just not just what they not just the actual show and what they've created, mm-hmm. the people and the the impetus behind what they do, and the intention and the creativity and the giving and the community that they've created. The fact that they have the foundation now, like they do so much good for so many people in the world. So, so I, I too am a huge fan of them. And every time I get 
every time we get to play together, it just makes my life a better, just makes my life better. It's so much fun. Yeah. What was, so I, you were on, um, uh, on Deadwood with, uh, did, I believe that was Brian W. Foster. That was the DM, oh, right? Wow. For that? Yeah. Yes. So good. <laughs> and what was Exandria Unlimited like? Because coming off of, you know, season two of Critical Role, mm-hmm. and I will say, as we were conversing back and forth, when I saw that announcement, I was like, oh, I'm just going to lose contact with her now. Like, that's just, it's, it's done. It's game over. Um, well, because I was like, that's it. The, the, the critters are just going to take her away and <laughs> be absolutely in love with her and we'll never hear from her again. Oh, my goodness. I, I hate it. way. I, no, I just hate that you would even have that that thought. No, not, not, definitely not in a bad way. No, no, no. I super understand where you're coming from. But uh, <laughs> no, didn't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> and I was so, I, well, I was I was happy just to have that constant communication. But what was it like getting the, I, mean, I don't know if it was getting the call or if it was planned, but what was it like sort of gearing up to do Alexandria uh, Unlimited. It was, it was wonderful because anytime I get a call from Marisha Ray, whether it's for work or play, I just get excited because she's an amazing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I mean, that's it. Like I, I, I got a, a, an email from Marisha saying, hey, we're doing this thing. Might you be interested and available? And I was like, hi, have you met me? Of course I am. It's uh, you. <laughs> Marisha is the is the main reason I got back into role playing games from when I was a kid because I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was eight. And then I stopped probably right when I went to college. And then I that's when I was mostly just playing um, on the PC. I was playing like all the Forgotten Realms RPGs and stuff because when mm-hmm. I went to college, I didn't have the people that I usually played campaigns with. And, and also back then, back in my day, back then it wasn't as cool. You know, it wasn't as mainstream to do it. So finding people to play with was rare. Finding the time to be able to do a full tabletop campaign was rare. So I really lost touch with that creative outlet and that fun outlet that I, that I had. Um, although I saved all of my AD&D original books until my mother made me clean them out. And then I know I'm sad because they're gone somewhere now. But uh, Marisha hit me up. God, I can't remember what year it was, but she hit me up back when they were still at Geek and Sundry. And she had said, mm-hmm. hey, Ivan Van Norman is working on this show and I think you'd be great for it. Can I connect you with him? And uh, for those of you who don't know Ivan Van Norman, he is the uh, wonderful and terrifying mind behind Sagas of Sundry and a bunch of other uh, terrifying horror RPG shows. Um, and like the sweetest man alive. So it's kind of funny that that's his genre. But uh, we did a show called We're Alive Frontier together and, and Marisha made that connect. And it was yeah. that was my first re-entry into role playing. And it was such a beautiful, it was such a beautiful re-entry because role-playing games are just long-form improv except instead of getting your suggestions from the audience you're getting your suggestions from the dice and the game master and to be in a room with people who take their fun who are as committed to the fun and as committed to the playing and committed to the game as everyone uh was there and and is a critical role that is a that is the real like that's the gem. That's the that's the thing. It's not just that these people are mega talented, but that people are so committed. And I don't like even when I'm having fun and fooling around, I need to be, people to be committed to it. Like be committed to being a dork, be committed to being you're telling, <laughs> telling your story. You know, like I love I take my fun very seriously. I've said that before. So getting the call yeah. from her was just like I was thrilled and 
I had some scheduling stuff that we had to work around and I was, you know, telling TV people like, no, 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 we can't do this right now. Please. I got to do my Xandria. Um, so it was fantastic. And, and what was wildly like, I had no, I'd never met Abria Iyengar before. I fell in love with her within about 30 seconds of talking to her over zoom about what the, what the world was that she was creating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was, that was pretty much it. Like I just fell in love. I already knew everybody except I knew Robbie. I'd never met Amy and I, and I'd met everybody else or worked with everybody else one way or another. And Amy, like, like everybody else, you fall in love with Amy. Like the second she opens her mouth, like, you know, <laughs> it's not before that. Cause she's just freaking gorgeous, but she's just intelligent and hilarious and fun. And, and like the whole gang, just a, just an extraordinary gang of uniquely talented human beings. So, um, so yeah, I didn't like it at all. It was awful. <laughs> worst experience ever. Clearly, yeah, worst ever, you guys. Never doing oh. it again. Oh my god! Please, for the love of God, bring me back. Please, bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> the the response around it and the response around your character in particular was just phenomenal. And I always love after every episode, right away, there's fan art. And, oh, yeah. In the episode, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, fan art is one of the most, it's like one of the world's, like, the, the, like one of the wonders of the world to me. And I don't know if you know this, it might be a very random segue, but fan art is the reason that I was, was the sort of the impetus for me to do the first episode of I Am Fun Size, my web series. Hmm, and, really? Uh, yeah. So, so because I was so, how do I, I where do I start this story? Um, it's it, so for those of you who don't know, I, I do this web series called I Am Fun Size, which, uh, which is more related to this podcast than than not. Um, it mm-hmm. is. It's essentially about the fact that yes, we use the word fun size to mean small human beings, and I am indeed a petite human being. But I believe that fun size really means everyone because we're all built for fun and. At the same time, there are so many times in our life where no matter how amazing our life may be, something inside us is making us feel small or sad or depressed or scared or something. And I think the the real sauce of life, the real journey of life is trying to be as expansive as possible to, to expand way past the size of your body and way past your physical form and lead that really fun sized life. And so... I had wanted to do some kind of a blog or a podcast or something at the time, um, but I'd kept stopping myself because I wanted it to be perfect. And then one night, February 2nd, 2017, I just randomly got on Twitter and I was like, hey, guys, let's do it's Thursday, but let's start a fan art Friday tomorrow because I know it's Friday somewhere. So let's do it now. And I was like, I'll get like two or three people who do a thing tomorrow when I wake up. And immediately, boom, 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 boom. People were throwing their offerings up on Twitter. And I was flabbergasted. I was flabbergasted at how talented people were, how generous they were, how quick they were to offer up these things that they had created. People of all levels, people of all different artistic uh, backgrounds and all different uh, levels of, you know, quote unquote talent or or where they where they were in their artistic journey. I don't want to say levels of talent because that's so subjective. But what blew me away more than anything was Okay, Anj, you just asked for this thing and all these people just threw up their artistic offerings immediately without even giving it a thought. Who the hell are you to not give something back? Get off your ass, 
put something out there that they want and that they need, that they maybe want. I didn't know if they wanted it, but that they need. So I flipped open my computer and turned on photo booth. Forget having a good camera like Nate's. Um, and, uh, and I just made the first episode saying, hey, guys, here's what here's my concept about what I believe fun size to be. Here's an email address that you can all reach me at Anjali at IamFunSize.com. Send me your questions for episodes and we'll see what happens. And the emails just flooded in about because, because a lot of people in the I believe just in the gaming community more than necessarily in the larger TV and, and, and uh, other artistic community. But a lot of people would hit me up by a DM for personal advice. And um, I do my best to respond to everything I possibly can. Uh, but there are certain things that I feel like are out of my depth and certainly not my, not my, like I shouldn't be advising people on because I am not a professional. But what I do have to offer people is I am an expert in my own experiences. I can tell you, I have no idea if this is going to work for you, but this is what happened to me when I had this similar experience. I can give people that. That is something that I that is very easy for me to share. I can share my struggles. I can share what I did in my lowest moments. I can share how I deal with rejection, how I deal with loneliness, how I deal with all of the ups and downs that all of us do. I can share what not to do when you know that this thing does not work out. Like I have so many what not to do stories in my life. Um, I <laughs> fill a whole book with those. So, um, so that ultimately yeah. what the show was. It is yeah. every episode I would answer a question that someone um, wrote in about or a theme that a lot of people had written in about. And then I started also asking uh, colleagues and peers and people I was shooting with or recording with or other friends uh, to weigh in as well. And I would always ask the question, at least I would ask other questions, but the main question I would ask is what is a piece of advice you would give your younger self knowing what you know now? And your younger self could be three minutes ago, it could be 30 years ago, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you want. Um, and so that is how I Am Fun Size was born. It was born out of a fan art Friday. Yeah. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. That's and amazing. So such, it really such a is. positive show, such a, it's the basis of peer support when we're able to share and express the things that we have gone through, but also how we sort of rose above it yes. in a sense too. And being able to share that. That takes outside of just strength. That's that's a lot to bear sort of out there in a sense, too. Like, hey, I went through this X, Y and Z, but this is also how I came as this is how I rose above it in a sense. I can see how it would feel that way. And at another point in my life, it may have felt that way because my vulnerability didn't feel like a strength. You know, you are when you are someone who is carrying shame about your experiences or your ostensible failures, when you are someone who is carrying guilt, when you are someone who is carrying the weight of your experiences in a negative way, then yes, it takes not just, I mean, it's terrifying to share those things when you are carrying something like that. I am very fortunate that I have done a lot of navel gazing. I have done a lot of work on myself, work with other people, um, I have done a lot of soul searching to be able to get to a point where for the most part, I mean, there are still some things that, that I obviously we're all working through wherever we are on our journey, but for the most part, there are no experiences that I don't feel that I feel need to be kept a secret more than 
would be valuable if shared with someone else, if they need to hear that they're not alone in that circumstance. Exactly. Crazy sentence. So I hope that that made sense, but I, I do feel like when I was, I, I mean, I, and this is not a new instinct for me when I was, when I was a teenager, I developed an eating disorder. Uh, and it sort of ran the gamut of eating disorders. I started with anorexia, then I went into bulimia, then I just went into overeating. And then I, I through, through some very simple things, I, I sort of righted my sails. But I remember when I went to college thinking, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd really like to go to sororities and go to groups of women and explain to them my journey with this because I don't want anyone to go through what I just did. And if that's the only useful thing that comes out of this, then that'll be dope. I'm really, that that would be awesome. And I didn't end up doing that very often. I did do that one-on-one with a lot of people, but what I did do was become a personal trainer. And I did that largely because I was heavy in the dance community when I was in college. And I knew that that had a part of just, you know, looking at yourself in a mirror for umpteen hours a day, that had part of, of sending me down the wrong path with eating. Not that that is something that every dancer goes through, but you know, you're looking at yourself in a mirror for that long. There's, there's bound to be some, something is a little hard. But I, I very much wanted to be able to help people who were unathletic like me, because I was terrible at sports. I wanted people to know you can be fit. You can be healthy without developing an eating disorder and without having to be good at sports. I wanted to, I wanted, that's a very specific thing that I wanted to work with. I I always, um, on my business cards, I said, form follows function. So whatever you want to do with your body, let's focus on that because you're going to look great because you're going to have the swimmer's body, or you're going to have the dancer's body because you're doing the thing you love, which is dancing because you're doing the thing you love, which is swimming. And we're going to build your, we're going to build your body in the way that you want it to feel, and then it's going to look right. And so that was kind of how I I went down that path. Plus, I was, uh, I didn't, you know, I I just wanted to be busy. I like being busy. So it was very important for me to have a lot of things to do when I was not doing theater. Uh, So I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, go open the gym, or work out, go open the gym, train clients, go to rehearsal, finish rehearsal, I mean, fin- uh, finish rehearsal, go back to the gym and work for a little bit, go to another rehearsal at night. Like it was one of those kind of crazy schedules. But that was so that instinct, that's what we were talking about, that instinct to use your experiences to help others. I feel like one of the things and I talk about this uh, in an episode of I Am Fun Size, one of the one of my, I should say, best ways or, or most um, tried and true ways to be able to get through something that is painful that I can't quite see the reason for in the moment is to know that I, I don't believe there's some, you know, puppeteer in the sky telling making everything happen. I believe that I'm the one who gives reason to my story. So I, I know that I will give the pain a purpose in my story. I just might not be able to see how the story, how the string art of the story comes together But at the Mm. moment that I'm in it, I can at least say, okay, this is teaching me compassion for someone who's gone through, who's going to be going through this in the future. This is going to be teaching me how to have a flashlight for someone else who's in this cave in the future. So clock it, clock it like a scientist, really figure out where you are, feel the feelings, feel them big, know what they're about, know what they mean to you, like, like really dig in there. 
because it's going to help someone else if you do. Yeah. And in, in actuality, in a clinical sense, I do that with clients in a therapy session. Well, you know, I because I, I think, unfortunately, sometimes we run away from them, you yeah. know, and depending on what obviously we're feeling, it can be scary. It can be very and also you can be very vulnerable in moments like that. But it's OK in the right space and in the, in the safe space, realistically, to feel them, mm-hmm. know them and almost try to understand them. So that way, as it continues within, as it continues, you know it better and you mm-hmm. know how to manage it better. Mm-hmm. You know, you use various skills that you, that you've learned, whether through experience, whether through therapy, but you know best how to handle them. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily and, mean they're well, going to go away. Right. You know, you're going to have to feel them, but you're a little more versed in how to handle them. And, and this is very much, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Like, it's simple for me to say this now because I did, I was a seeker. I did do, I did therapy. I did all different modalities of energy work. I read all, I read a gazillion books. I, you know, I did all of the things where someone else was guiding me through something I really didn't understand. And interestingly enough, it really, you know, my acting life and my, my emotional journey or my, my, I don't know, I don't know what you want to call it, like self-realization journey. It all sounds so hoity-toity when I but the 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 things that I know as an actress and the things that I learned as an actress to do to be a good actor have been very valuable tools for me to process emotions and work with emotions and handle emotions. It's just that you usually think of it the other way. People are like, oh, well, acting must be so hard. How do you handle rejection? Like, how do you handle the struggle? And I'm like, you don't understand. The acting helps my life because there are things that we, you know, that you would you might do in psychodrama or there are things that you do when you're trying to manifest certain things in your life. There are, there are guided meditations that you do all of these things that are so much like the thing, the very things I do when I'm creating a character. And when I was in a a periods of time where I was so overwhelmed by my emotions, I was scared that they would eat me alive. And there were many phases of my life where I was very depressed, um, very, very depressed. I feel so sad for that young lady back then. When I was in those times of being so afraid that I couldn't, not only couldn't manage them, but like if I started crying, I wouldn't be able to stop. When I had that fear of my own emotions overtaking me, I could not for the life of me bring them into my acting. I couldn't do that because I didn't feel safe enough to bring them up. I didn't feel safe and I didn't feel safe enough to be vulnerable. And it wasn't until I really learned that no feeling can kill me because it's a feeling it's not a reality and once I learned that what ultimately is causing this feeling is a series of thoughts that you might need not even have clocked because it happens so fast and your neural pathways have fired so fast you have no idea what thought is behind it but this feeling is coming up and I got to backtrack and figure out what that thought is but ultimately the feeling is coming from something that I do have control over once I started to really be able to pick things apart and develop practices for myself as a person to be able to manage that in quote unquote, the real world, then all of a sudden as an actor, I could do anything. All of a sudden it was no problem to cry on cue because I wasn't afraid the tears were never going to stop. Whereas before I couldn't do it to save my life, but I was doing it all day in, you know, between classes, right. doing it all I would do it on the subway or wherever. And so 
in in that sense, finding that safe space, whether it is therapy, whether it is with someone at your church, whether it is an energy practitioner, whatever it is, a support group, a 12-step program, finding those safe spaces where you can hone your tools and figure out which tools actually work for you and make those decisions yourself so you have agency is such an empowering thing to realize that everything that is being offered you by all of the practitioners around you is a set of tools and you get to decide which tools to put in your toolbox and which ones work for you. So grab as, learn about as many of them as you can, because the more effective stuff you have in your toolbox, the more you can handle. And having lived this long and not, and survived like just purely the base act of survival does give you a certain sense of confidence that you can handle things. And I didn't really I, I love the later years of my life. Yeah. I, I love the, I love the toolbox analogy. Mm-hmm. I use it all the mm-hmm. time. And honest, and honestly with, with, with clients, I say it in more in like this fun sort of like, like let's build your toolbox. Like yeah. let's go on this journey because we get to fill this. Now we get to try everything. Oh, and see what sticks. And and a lot of times, yeah. Fun discovery process of, hey, you know what? This Makita doesn't work for me, but this screwdriver does. Like when you find those moments <laughs> where you are, you as the person who is who is developing the toolbox decide when you when you get to decide, oh yes, now I I have confidence that I know what each tool does for me. And what works for me might not work for someone else. And what works for someone else might not work for me. The more confidence I have in what to use from that toolbox, the more fun it gets to take things apart when things are happening. You know, the more fun Absolutely. it gets. To things. I'm not going to say that, that difficult emotions are, you know, woohoo, yay, I feel like crap. Like, no. no. But I will say that I have a fascination for them as opposed to a fear of them. Mm. And, um, I mean, I've, I would I'll be, you know, full disclosure. Like I, I remember maybe like a week ago, I had a, like a full tilt meltdown about something. Cause I was just overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed. That's basically what it was. And I had a full tilt meltdown and thank God my husband wasn't in the house. Cause I was losing my shit. And, <laughs> but I had that meltdown and I didn't hold it back because I knew I had to go through it and I'd been letting mm. it build up far too long. And when I was done, I literally felt physically lighter. And all of these insights into what I had been going through began to come to me because I had knocked that wall of, you got to hold it back. You got to hold it back. You got to hold it back down. Just put your head down and get through it, get through it, get through it was like, and I know better. This is not like a a new thing to me. I know better than that. Um, And at this, and also another moment that I had recently that where I occasionally I'll have a sleepless night, like everyone. And Mm -hmm. when I do, it's usually spinny thoughts. And I actually, I've I've written about this recently and I'll I'll tell you about that in a section, a second, but I, for whatever reason, I couldn't like, usually I'll put in a meditation and I'll fall asleep pretty easily if I can't sleep. But uh, for, Mm -hmm. for, for, because of the positioning of my dog and my husband in the bed, I couldn't move. So I was not doing that. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to wake up both my booze. If I get, if I get that, I just like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to stick it out. So instead, as I'm having these spinning thoughts, I thought, huh, okay, well, let's dig in here a little while. Let's see what this is about. This isn't, you haven't done this in a while. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go dark. Let's go in. <laughs> 
find out what is what is the what's at the bottom of this valley right now. You know, you can pull up at any given moment. You know how to do that. You know, let's pretend you're on belay or you're repelling or something. You know, so you you know you're okay. You can yank yourself up. But where is the bottom? Where's the core belief here that's really fucking you up? But I don't just like being a climber. You don't feel really safe doing that until you have the experience of doing it over and over and over again and not dying. And so that fascination has been very, very useful to me because I can now get to the core of what is really upsetting me a lot quicker and by myself. It's not always as easy. I still go see other practitioners. I still have my, my, I, I call her my Kathleen because she's so many things, but uh, Kathleen Campbell Stone is a, a wonderful, uh, she is an EFT practitioner. She's, she's just certified everything, uh, certified awesome. And she is very much responsible for me, you know, just being still walking the planet right now because she helped me through a very difficult time in my life and is now one of my dearest friends. And if I had not had her holding my hand through that darkest time and giving me so many tools to work with, I might not be able to do that fascinating dive. You know, you, you find your people, you find your tools, you find your, you find your champions and, um, and then you can use it for someone else, which is really fun. Yeah. And you find what makes you strong, what makes you a bit more powerful in a sense to continue to, I get stuck because sometimes I want to say continue to fight. Right. It's not as though it's not as though we're like bare knuckle boxing something. It's more so like we have, you know, we're becoming stronger in processing and understanding these emotions and going down. It's the um, it's like the they call it in CBT, like the downward arrow. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, you go through each emotion, each thought until you get to, like you said, that core belief. what What is fucking me up? Like right, where, right. yeah, where are you? Like, here's another, here's another recent example. So because I have a reasonable social media following, there are a lot of people who will write comments and 99.9999999999% of them are lovely. And there'll be that mm-hmm. one. There'll be that one who's like, a, a, a you know, not so great. And we as humans have a tendency to, you know, I, I think it's because our brain right is to, it. to keep us alive. So we, what's the threat? You go look at that one. And there was a comment recently, uh, interestingly enough, on a post that I wrote about vulnerability. There was a, a, a sort of an essay about uh, my body that someone had written and how I need to do this and you don't have enough muscle and you need to do this for your own good and blah, blah, blah. And I saw that and then I saw other people like coming in and responding to it in my defense. And this person just doubling down like a very eloquently well-written, but like a lot of text. And it really upset me for some reason. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I was trying to go to sleep and I couldn't sleep. So I was like, okay, here we go. Let's figure out what's really bothering you. Cause you don't, you know, this person's wrong and your instinct to fight back you're not going to do that because I don't respond to stuff like that unless they're attacking someone else. Uh, if they're attacking someone else, I will hit them one time with a comment about like, hey, clean your act up. And then they'll get deleted because it's my dinner party. You're my guest and you right. get ejected to my other guests. But 
I was trying really trying, like, I was like, well, you know, what is it? Do you believe this? Are you feeling that badly about your body? No, I lift weights. I lift over my body. Like you're strong, you know, you know, you know, your stuff, you're eating well. Blah, blah, blah. And I realized that the thing that bothered me the most was that I was all up in arms about this person saying something like this to me. And if it was them saying it to someone else who I loved, I would be all up in arms too. I'd be ready. I'd be like, you know, take off my earrings, hold my weave. I got you. You know, I'd, I'd be like, <laughs> ready for the fight. Right? I would be ready for the fight. But yeah. the one place I would normally let that go would be in my own head. If I was saying shitty things to myself in my own head, chances are a few would slide by. And I think what bothered me the most in that moment was realizing, oh, you don't fight these battles for yourself, in yourself. You'll fight for your dear friends. You'll get angry at people on the, in the outside world. But the real place you need to be protecting yourself is from those stupid voices that will occasionally slip in, that will say horrible things to yourself in your head. you got to make sure that's the battle you stay strong for. Because it don't matter what some stranger on the internet says, but you better believe it matters what you say about yourself to yourself. Right. It's so easy to let them by, though, and oh, you know, God, let those voices so get to you. It's it's like, so all, but it happens so fast. Yeah. It's not like when we're thinking, we think in the same amount of time as we speak. It's not that. It's, it's a flash. It's a, it's a flash that's not even words. And then you start, yeah. you know, then you start uh, deconstructing it. And then you start spiraling and like, it's, it's so much, it's so much harder. Your own brain is like, it's the most powerful thing in the world. Our freaking brains are these beautiful, amazing, terrifying uh, places because hell really can be your own head. If it's the, if you're saying the wrong things to yourself. And I know I have been there. It is brutal. I don't wish some of the things I've thought, uh, you know, or ways I've felt on anyone not my worst enemy. Although I don't really have any bad enemies that I can think of. Um, or maybe I, I, maybe I do, but I don't know. them. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think it's because it's also, I think, because we tell ourselves we have a double standard for ourselves. Yes. We all have a double standard for ourselves. 99% of the time, something that we would never let someone else feel bad about we will let ourselves feel bad about because somewhere in there we're like, yeah, but you know, better. you can do better. You should be better. Mm-hmm. You yeah. should have known that thing that you could never have possibly known because how would you know? Like we do that to ourselves because we've lived for with ourselves for so many years and, and self-compassion is, I, I believe infinitely more difficult than compassion for others outside of you. And one of 100%. the, one of the main reasons that we need to practice as, as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the way that I, the way, you know, self-care, self-love is, is is not always going to the spa and getting a back rub. Oh, right? hell no. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> no. And especially I, if you don't like that, I didn't even begin with. I kind of, I hate, I hate saying this because I'm going to sound so awful, but like after a certain point, certain words and terms make me, you know, want to vomit a little bit in my mouth because of the way they get used in modern day culture, you know, for a while. Uh-huh. When people were throwing codependency around everywhere, and I'm like, okay, that is not a codependent act. This is a codependent act. You guys are driving me like, stop using that word. Or, you know, occasionally manifesting makes me want to punch someone in the face. Or, uh, or recently, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I can't go to your party because, you know, self care. And uh, that's not how I, (laughs) but what I, 
it could be a very self-caring action, but just the way it gets thrown around. But absolutely, self-love, self-love is such an interesting thing, and I and I have it is. I've done a whole episode on this as well. Mm. Because, um, and I'm just gonna drop a drop it here because I keep saying I've written about it. So I am writing an I am fun size book, the, the companion book to the series. Oh. Yes, so that is coming out this fall. Surprise! Uh, that was a fantastic, That's amazing, fantastic announcement. I'm so glad that I made it that way, you guys. I'm really good at hype. Uh, but <laughs> I, so I've written about this at length, and I'm and I uh, also have an episode about this called uh, "How the Hell Do I Love Myself?" And I think when you are someone who like me had no idea what that meant. When people are like, you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself. I'm like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I don't and know then, what it feels like. I don't know what it is. And then they take it a step further and say, well, you can't love anybody else until you love yourself. And you're like, great. So not only uh, do I love myself, but now I'm totally fucked for any I, relationship. Because I love this. Yes. Like it's just, it, it's just like, there's a no win scenario in that situation. So- right. My first instinct is the hell I do. I can love someone and I'm and I can tell you from experience, of course you can love someone if you don't love yourself. It is not as fun, but you absolutely can. I learned to love myself. I learned what that meant to me when I got my dog. Because I <laughs> the, the the way I take care of that puppy, the way I take care of that little fucker is so intense it's so caring like i don't care i don't care if the walls fall down and the sky crashes to the ground he will be walked he will be fed he will be snuggled his health will be taken care of i will pay attention to his needs i don't care what he does i will never call him a bad dog or yell at him that's not how i that's not how i take care of my dog uh bad behavior just gets kind of ignored and good behavior gets rewarded you know there are all of these things that i realized oh my god all I have to do to love myself is do what I'm doing. Just a dog. Like that's, a, it's so, so it's just a verb. I mean, it's not a feeling that you have to, the, the feeling will come, but loving yourself is a very active thing that comes from practice and you don't have to like yourself to do it. You just have to do it. You have to do the act of loving yourself. And at the same time, as I got my dog, right around the same time as I got my dog, I got my dog first. I met uh, my future husband and who is now my husband. And I still wasn't, really good at loving myself. I still to this day am not always great at it. I know what it is though. And I know how to do it. And so much of what I learned about what that means to me came from watching how I loved my husband, watching how I love my dog. How do I treat these, these, these people, these creatures who are more valuable to me than life itself. That was my training ground. So for people to be told you can't love someone until you love yourself, I think, especially for people who are in a a particularly low place is, I think, a potentially inaccurate statement. Absolutely. What you can do is look at how you love other people. If you feel like you're really good at loving someone else, watch how you do it and then do it for yourself. It's fucking difficult when you're not practiced at it. It's simple, but not easy. But you have the tools, you have the roadmap, you have like, I will never, I will, I will never judge my husband as good or bad. I know he is good beyond compare, but I will help him evaluate his decisions. I will give him self love on that. Got to do the same for yourself. Yes. So 
that when you are sitting there calling yourself a loser or calling yourself an idiot or calling yourself all these things, that ain't how that ain't loving. What you do is evaluate your decisions and then make some choices or make some better choices that you can do. That is a loving act. Giving yourself that kind of tough love, that's very loving. Giving yourself that accurate assistance is great. Morally judging your character based on your actions, not that necessary all the time. So so I really do feel like it's just, uh, it's a, a, it pisses me off. It's a myth that you can't love, that that it's, that you can't love someone else until you love yourself. Well, I'm, I'm. I'm sorry I got you heated, but I'm actually very glad because this it, it's it's such an it's but it, it's so true. There's the Instagram BS of like yeah. self-love and self-care. There's mm-hmm. that Instagram yeah. crap, but then there's real life. And then exactly. there's yeah, and, no. and yes, and yes, Queen Valentina 27, exactly. Yes. Learning to love yourself in a relationship is a lot easier, provided you have a loving, supportive partner. I will say that absolutely. I had no idea how to freaking love myself is that before I met my husband, I was in a very not good relationship. And so everything that I was seeing and doing and patterning back for myself was not good. It was not, uh, it was, it was what was being, uh, how, how do I say this? My own negative opinions of myself were just being reinforced by the world around me because I was kind of creating that the more and more I bought into it. You know, I think when you do the lovely thing about when you are in a difficult, a relationship that maybe shouldn't be when you shouldn't be a relationship at all, when you're in that and you've already learned to love yourself, it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, this is not right. When you don't have that inside you, it's very hard to extricate yourself because you don't really know what you're missing. So um, you think that that's, uh, it's very easy to get stuck in a toxic relationship or even just the wrong relationship, not even something as, as big as toxic or abusive or something like mm-hmm. that. I think it's very easy to get stuck in something like that when you are so used to talking to yourself in such harsh ways, you can't imagine why it's wrong that someone else might be talking to you that way. There's this great section in the four agreements um, by Don Miguel Ruiz, where he talks about how, we will allow ourselves to be treated just the tiniest bit better than the worst we treat ourselves. Like that's the, the, the benchmark is what's the worst you treat yourself. You'll probably stand for like this. So whatever you're experiencing in real life, take a look at how you're treating yourself and make sure, make sure you aren't being worse to yourself. Cause if that's the, if that's the bar and the bar is like, you know, six feet underground, you got to lift that bar up. You yeah. Be- yeah. And unfortunately, the 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 unfortunate truth is sometimes people stay in relationships because that's that that negative thought is reinforced. One hundred percent. There's an inability to almost get out of it in a yeah. sense. Not not not, you know, you can get out of it, but it's it's much harder because the negative the way that you're viewing yourself is being because reinforced by somebody else. It, yes. Because it makes sense. And strength. Yeah. We also, looking back, I can say this is 100% true, but I, it, it, you know, it was hard to see when I was in it. Strangely, I think if you have been depressed or, or just not loved yourself for long enough, it is way more comfortable to not love yourself than it is yes. to make those steps towards loving yourself. And then it, it becomes is, a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Exactly. 
Exactly. And I mean, I, and I, I, again, years of doing this, even with wonderful people in relationships, but years of creating that prophecy for myself within, within my relationships and not just my romantic relationships, my relationships with friends or, or family, I was seeing the very evidence outside of me of what my brain was saying, because, well, because neuroscience, because there is a particular part of your brain called the reticular activating system that is very specifically to uh, one of its jobs is to decide what is important in your world for you to see. And the way it decides that is what do you pay the most attention to? What do you think about the most? What do you deem important? So if I am constantly thinking about what a loser I am, I'm probably going to see things that trigger in me the thought that I am a loser. Um, it doesn't mean it's my fault. It just means I have trained my brain that way through consistent thought, consistent action. And if I meet someone who treats me that way and gives me that variable reinforcement, it's going to be, I'm going to be like, yeah, that person is a real authentic person because they think the thing that's horrible that I know about myself. If I don't feel that way about myself, if my reticular activating system is attuned to, hey, you know, I'm not like the greatest slice of bread in the fridge. I don't know what that was at all, but I'm a good person. And I'm, a, you know, this is, I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. And someone comes into my world who tries to shit on that. You better believe my whole system is going to say like, mm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Absolutely. And it takes, you know, it, and, and this is what I, you know, on a, on a basic level, what I tell everybody, you have to give yourself patience and time to get to a level like that. Because we're, we're undoing potentially years of thinking this way about yourself or feeling this way about yourself. We're untying that knot. And whoever's had the old school headphones that you put in your pocket, when you take it out, it takes days sometimes to undo that knot. What's and great though, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. And so th that's the biggest thing that I tell everybody is that patience. Give yourself the time that you deserve to actually go through this, work with it and come out stronger on the other side of this. Give yourself the patience to not be good at it right at the beginning because you haven't practiced it. You're really good at the other thing. You don't need to practice that anymore. But you do, you know, I used to say that to myself all, all the time. Like, you know what yeah. you're really good at? Talking shit to yourself. You're good at that. You have rehearsed that for years. You can always go back to that. You don't have to learn that anymore. Let's learn a new skill. Let's try this rule. Let's try this thing. Because it's new, so which means I have to work at it. Also, though, I love, at least this was helpful for me, and Kathleen did this a lot with me too, is giving yourself, yes, give yourself the freedom and the patience and the permission to take as long as you need, but be open to the possibility that it could happen like that. Be open to the possibility that you could have an aha moment because they happen all the time. They happened when I was like, oh my God, I love myself because I love my dog, but the dog, the thing, the what? Like all of a sudden, you be open yeah. to the possibility. Like that's when people talk about miracles, the way the human brain fires, miracles happen on a daily basis and they happen in your own head. And you can create them by just holding the space for the possibility of change. Just believing that, you know what? I may have spent 20, 30, 40 years hating myself but it is entirely possible for me to change that just by taking my course one degree this way. It is so entirely possible. Yeah.
and seeing that it is possible rather than thinking, oh my God, I have to undo so much. How am I ever going to do this? More like, how am I going to do it? Because I know I'm going to do it. It can be done. Other people have done it. There's no reason I can't. I love it. I really do. Because because it's true. (laughs) That's why. And again, I sound... (laughs) I feel like I, I always have to, you know, do this disclaimer with people because I understand and I've been hit by this a lot in my life where people are like, oh, it's easy for you because blah, blah, blah. Give me a million different reasons. And I used to be the person who'd be like, well, it's easy for her because blah, 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 blah. It ain't easy for mm-hmm. me. And it really wasn't easy for me. And to this day, it is challenging. The The, the main difference now is that I am so intent on not falling back as far down as I have in the past that I will catch those tendencies sooner now because I know what to look out for. And I know for me what tools to use to keep me from going there. Again, it's me being able to like spelunk down into the cave of hell in my brain only because I know how to get myself out. Um, but it is not easy. And I know that. And it may sound like I'm I'm being very glib about all of this, but I really, I really, really know that things are simple, but not easy. And you just, please, please know that you put your, you put, it's the same as like an Olympic athlete makes something look easy and it's Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. for them, but they've got like a gazillion years of training and hours and hours and hours of practice and the right diet and the trainer and the, this and the, that, and the, that. So they have all the practices in place to do it, which is why it looks easy for them and is easier, easier for them than us because they've put in the work. Absolutely. Nobody's born with the ability to handle depression, right? Mm -hmm. Our brains as complex as they are, have not caught up that far, right? You know, we're not born with it. It is a fundamental practice, anxiety, anything, anything. It is a fundamental practice. And having that support around you in any way, in any capacity, Mm -hmm. right? Professional, peer, having a good support system around you doesn't fix it and make the problem go away, but it makes it a shit ton easier to manage and be able to bounce things off people and talk to others and gain perspective. And to know you're not Sometimes that is 99% of the battle is to know that you're not alone. Because even on the other side, when I've watched other people go through particularly depressed periods in their lives and, 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 and then they'll keep going back to, you don't understand this, 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 this. I don't understand anyone's unique path on the planet, but there are certain universal things that that we go through. And so the plot points almost don't matter. What matters is that, you know, you are not alone. Someone else has experienced this emotion on the planet. It may not be the plot points, but someone else is there with a flashlight with compassion and holding the space for you to find your way. They are there with the flashlight, handing it to you. You are the one doing the work, but they're there. We are here. That knowledge that you're not alone is, is so important. And, and speaking of the flip side and speaking of being on the other side, I cannot impress upon anyone enough, the value to yourself, as well as the person on the other side, the value of being that flashlight for someone else. And as simply as having a nice conversation with someone at the supermarket, you don't have to be a licensed social worker. You don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a doctor to heal someone's heart in a moment of kindness. 
Um, there was a movie ages ago with Mel Gibson called What Women Want um, that got remade into What Men Want. And I can't believe I'm about to pull a scene from that. I don't know why I'm doing this right now. But, <laughs> um, but there was a scene in that movie where, you know, he can hear people's thoughts. And there is a right. woman in the office who is incredibly depressed and he hears her talking about how no one, no one even knows who I am. Yeah. And the intern. Can, yes, I remember and that scene. Tell that the, you, you can infer from what's happening that she might be on her way to go home and hurt herself. Mm-hmm. And he, in that moment just says, says something very simple to her about like great job or I see you or something. I don't even right. remember what it but that moment, just that interruption of the pattern changes the course of her world. And it's a very small part of the movie. That's literally the only part of the movie I remember. But that is such a true thing. It's why one of the only reasons I hate having more followers, uh, the more followers I get is because I want to be able to respond to everyone and I can't. And it makes me very sad because I know that sometimes the simplest thing as a stranger saying, hey, can change everything. And I do my best to respond to everything. I do my best to respond to all the I am fun size emails. If I miss one, it breaks my heart because I just want people to know I see you. You are seen. Not just I see you are you are seen. You are heard, especially people who are struggling. So any chance you get, if you're doing great, any chance you get to be kind to someone or compassionate to someone, you don't have to sit there and spend an hour on the phone with people to be to make a difference in their lives. It's wonderful if you can, but you can make a big difference in in uh, in a lot of people's lives just by being kind. To just be a high. Yeah. Amazing concept, right? Yeah. I know. Funny. So strange. I have a friend, uh, our our friend, um, very accomplished actor named Jeff Fahey, and he also does a lot of work in Afghanistan with orphanages and, Mm -hmm. and a lot of relief work all over the world. And I remember once we were at lunch and I asked him, I said, if someone asked you, cause he spent a lot of time in the Middle East. Someone asked you, Oh no, I, he's told the story of someone asking him, um, what can I do to, to help the situation in the Middle East? What's the one thing you think I can do? And he said, next time you see, uh, an, uh, an old lady trying to cross the street, help her. The next time you see someone struggling, help them because the more you practice kindness, the more it ripples out into the world. And the more you get used to doing it and the more people do that, the better the world becomes. It, is, it starts with simple actions. And that sounds very, you know, woo woo and, and Pollyanna. But I, I, I've seen too much proof of that changing the world mm-hmm. to not believe it. You know, it takes a little longer. But when you, especially in today's world where we are dealing with a lot of political things and dealing with a lot of very real existential threats and and whatnot, Mm -hmm. it's very easy to feel powerless in the grand scheme of things. You have so much power within you just with your words and just with your ability to be kind and compassionate. That's so much power. And your words really are your superpower because because of the freaking internet, we see how people do awful things with their words on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do as much good with kind words on the internet. So lean into that. Lean into that. Yeah. Words are, you know, words create such an impact. They have such an impact, I should say. And the idea is to, to just be kind because you don't know what the other person on, on the other side is going through. 
No, you never, never do. And you never know, even if they look like they're a horrible person on the outside, you don't know what they're going through. When I first went back to the the first set, I went back to filming on uh, after the pandemic started and after lockdown. They, we did a whole training on COVID safety practices. And what blew me away was the final thing that they said was, listen, one of the most important things that you have to remember during this time is when you come back to set, you don't know what the people around you have experienced during all of this time. You don't know who's lost family members, who's lost children. You don't know who's been working three jobs on Instacart and, and the supermarket and whatnot because they lost their other job. You right. don't know who has, you don't know what their home life is like. Be patient and compassionate with each other right now, because you don't know. I was so grateful that they were saying that specifically in terms of COVID, but the fact is we got to do that all the time. Yes. You really don't know where people are coming from. You really don't know. But if you just one up someone's anger or one up someone's, you know, negativity or whatever, all you're going to do is contribute to the pain there rather than, keeping yourself in the place that you are and pulling people up or at the very least not taking that in, you know, being able to understand that like that ain't about me. I'm going to step away slowly. And if you can just, if you do have the resources to help, to help that person in that moment with your compassion and with your kindness, it's really, I've, like I said, I've seen, I've seen too much evidence of how amazing it can be and and words i mean there's there's that whole there's that whole study the guy who did the the ice in the water study in japan and i can't remember his name but uh, he took water molecules and this is crazy because it sounds like magic took someone can look this up on the internet i don't know internet internet um i i don't know (laughs) on this show but whoever does it's a good interwebs the interwebs. But it was a study that he did where, and I think it was in the movie, um, What the Bleep Do We Know as well, where he took water molecules and he spoke certain words around certain water, uh, around certain samples. And when he said hate, loser, awful words, it changed the shape of the molecules. It changed the shape of the, the crystals. And when he said kind words, it changed the shape. Like there was an energetic effect. I know this sounds, I swear to God, it sounds like crazy hoodoo voodoo magic, but it, there was a, there was a whole thing and I don't know the name of the guy, but you got to find it. Dr. Masuru Emoto. There it is. Well, played. Yeah, and I, I just, I just got the YouTube video of it. Yeah. And stuff like that, where you're just like, I know again, like there, there, whatever you believe in, whatever your religion, whatever your spiritual background, there is something greater than us in the world, even if it is just our communal energy as human beings, because we're all energetic beings and we all do have some form of an, of energy around us. You can feel it. You can feel it when you're around people. It's why things like Reiki and other stuff work. And our words, the way we communicate has that same kind of energy too. It's a reason why a word can make someone's day and a word can break someone's heart. The way we use our language and the way we use that energy is, it is, it can, it can, it, it that's your superpower right there. Absolutely. Be kind to others, but also be kind to yourself. Darn it. <laughs> for the love of God, it's harder. <laughs> At least for me. It's much harder. Way harder. I can be a total dick to myself on a regular basis. And I'm like, whoa, easy killer. Like, I, 
I will literally now because I got no shame and also because we all have like AirPods. So it looks like you're you know talking to someone else, but I will have full conversations with myself where I'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Quit beating up on my, what's, what, why are you beating up on my girl? <laughs> Chill out. Yeah, yeah. What is that about? What was that? What was Don't that? Don't beat up on my friend. Back up. Not okay. And then other times I'll be like, you know, and other times I'll be giving myself tough love and it'll be out loud and I'll be like, whoa, Ange, okay, you fucked that up. Strong work. Get it together. Right. Get it together. But it's all in love and it's all in kindness as much or as much as possible. Occasionally, occasionally I let some not so nice things slip by. I, I, I think I think that's actually a great sort of ending. Okay. Yeah, we've been I, I Oh my god, it's already April. How have we been on so <laughs> This was this was and we said before, you know, if we're having a really good convo, this is just gonna yeah. go. I believe, <laughs> I believe the word I used was a rollicking. Yes. Con- rollicking conversation. We're having a rollicking conversation. I don't know what that is. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys so, so much. No. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. This is this has just been fantastic. So and you mentioned you mentioned the book. Yes. So um, the I Am Fun Size series can be seen presently on the YouTube. Uh, my YouTube handle, which is also the same as my Twitter and Instagram handle, is Sweet Ange with three E's, S-W-E-E-E-T-A-N-J. You can also find me on the Facebook at my my name, Anjali Bamani. That's my fan page. But um, I Am Fun Size is, is up there for all to see. There are a gazillion episodes. Please check them out. Um, thoughts on loneliness, how the hell do I love myself, judgment versus evaluation, like, are you running from something or to something? There's so many. And um, and like I said, the book will be coming out hopefully sometime in the mid-fall right now. It's all going to depend on editing and all that stuff. But I am uh, I am very excited to uh, to put that out there as, a, as another love letter to this community because I... I'm amazed at how generous the gaming community can be to us who make the games. I'm very grateful for that. I want them all to feel as loved as they make me feel. And I want them all to love each other and themselves as much as they do that for us, for us folks who make the games. And please just don't make fun of me for being so bad at the games. I'm really good at doing the voices. I'm really bad at playing the games. Leave me at the tabletop games. I'll kill it there. I'll kill it there. Uh, So yes, please find me on the interwebs anytime. Uh, I'm very easy to find. If you have questions for the I Am Fun Size series, you can email me at Anjali at IamFunSize.com. And again, please, for the love of God, know that you are not alone, whatever you are going through, especially during this pandemic and where I know a lot of people are isolated. You may be physically alone in your space, but you are not alone in this world. And you would be so missed if, um, if something happened to you. Or if, God forbid, you did something to take yourselves from us. So please, for the love of God, reach out whenever you you need help. There is a wild and wonderful community out there. These fellows at Guardians Mental Health are doing such incredible work. And, and there are so many other people out there who are there to help. So use them, please. They are here for your, they're here for your taking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for that. Absolutely. So... On that note, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Guardians Mental Health Podcast. 
If you can, please leave us a review on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps spread our show to others who may not have heard of us. Keep up to date with everything we're doing over at the following places, guardiansmh.org. Follow us on Twitter at guardiansmh and join our partner Discord server at discord.gg guardiansmh, where you can easily interact with us, gain some valuable resources, and just join a really cool community. Help us keep the lights on, but more importantly, keep our mental health kits that we are sending across the U.S. and internationally. And we have a bunch of different kits that are going on. Most recently and launching soon is our collaboration with To Write Love on Her Arms. And our major our one of our one of our big uh, partnerships to provide information resources and assist those battling depression suicidal ideation and bring awareness to it if you want to help keep those kits free and you want to help us keep the lights on please visit tiltify.com/guardiansmh anything you donate is much more than appreciated if you cannot that's okay please feel free to share as best you can Last and certainly not least, if you are looking for some merch that's really cool, really comfortable, go to highscorestees.com slash collections slash guardiansmh or just go to highscorestees and search guardians mental health. It's very easy. And you can find all of our merch there. Anything that is purchased goes right back into the nonprofit and just continues to help foster what we do. And yeah, I think I did it. I, and sold, I sold my soul. You did great. You, you did got, really well. I'm on your Tiltify right now. Look at that. Oh, oh thank, uh, you. thank you. We actually won't be recording on the third That's because right. we will be at PAX West. Right. Uh, we are hosting Ooh. a booth up in Seattle. Uh, we're all flying into Seattle. We'll be there for the entire convention from we'll be landing Thursday. We'll be there and we'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So come Mm -hmm. by the booth. If you're going to PAX West, stop by, come into the diversity lounge, come see guardians, mental health. We're bringing over 900 mental health kits with us and they are of course free to everybody. So if you would like to, and you're in the area and you'd like to pick up and actually the suicide prevention, mental health kits are releasing the same weekend. So if you want to be some of the first people before they are mailed out to pick it up in person, you can see us at PAX West and grab one of these kits right there in person, meet all of us, meet the whole team. Uh, Matt will be there. Amanda will be there. Nate will be there. I'll be there. And then also our uh, design lead, Joe is going to be there as well, and we would love to see you. So please uh, come on out, say hi, and we have some amazing resources and kits and everything else for you. Matt's bringing some of the, uh, I think he's bringing these yep, the neurodivergent uh, like, mental health kits. Yep. Like, yeah, we're bringing a lot and we're going to be putting a lot together. So the night before, if you want to bring tacos to the townhouse we're staying at, <laughs> we will be putting together 500 mental health oh, kits we gonna, the night before. Are we going to so, the address? <laughs> we might. So um, you know what? Maybe we'll provide the tacos to you oh know God. try and wrangle more to other hands. people to help you put together. Yeah, the- yeah. If you'd like free right, tacos right. and like to you know help us put together mental health kits, get a hold of us between now and then. <laughs> and also, and also, your boy might be on a panel. Actually, yes. I am going to be on a panel, but shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Shouldn't we tell? That'll everybody, be though? the the information will be coming out soon. <laughs> Oh. I don't know the full information yet, but yeah. it's coming out soon. Well, <laughs> they're very cheeky about those schedules sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> cheeky. 
But stay tuned. Yes, yeah, stay tuned. Check it out on the socials. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Yes. Have a great night. You take care, guys. Be well. Bye, everybody. 